Well, happy post-Thanksgiving Saturday, folks. I am sports mental health empowerment coach and couple marriage and family therapist, Dr. Lauren Pitts. You know, that crazy guy is. He got a lot that he want to say today. He's been texting me all <laughs> week. All week. He ain't gave no thanks. He ain't showed no respect. You know <laughs> he ain't crazy? no gratitude. You he know ain't crazy? did a darn thing, but, her, but harass me all <laughs> week people all week he's been harassing dr pitts welcome to house talk pregame folks welcome back welcome back you know it's funny about that you know how uh, every holiday that's the only time your phone blow up with messages all day is you know happy all Thanksgiving, day. happy <laughs> christmas happy new year so and you know normally you find yourself having to type it out all the time like mm -hmm. happy Thanksgiving, happy thanksgiving <laughs> one of my friends sent me a picture of a, of a happy thanksgiving banner and I said, bet, I'm just going to send this to everybody. I mean, based. <laughs> you got to be thankful. You got to be thankful for the little things in life. Like it's the little I things. If, if you don't stop and appreciate the little things, you'll miss the whole point. And to no that problem. point, you know, thinking about being thankful this entire week, you know, oftentimes I'm not really thankful for social media, you know, social media oftentimes. He's going to take cheap shots, folks. That's what he does. He's a cheap shooter. <laughs> Go ahead. But, Go ahead, get it out you know, you know, sometimes, you know, social media just comes through. Not, you know, like God said, the guy don't come on time. He come right on time. Uh, you know, so social, but we go, you know what? We're going to save that for a little bit later. We're going to, because we got so much to talk about today. It's, champ, well, it's not championship Saturday. It's rivalry Saturday. We got a whole bunch of rivalries going on today. We got yeah. the game between OSU, Ohio State, and Michigan today. Looking yes. forward to that one. We got the yes. Iron Bowl, uh, Alabama and Auburn. Mm -hmm. We got uh, Washington, Washington State. Um, unfortunately, um, here in the state of Virginia, for those who have been keeping up with, you know, Virginia has been, unfortunately, um, in the headlines for a lot of the wrong reasons lately. Yeah. Um, but the uh, Commonwealth Cup between uh, UVA and Virginia Tech was canceled this week. Right. Um, the players, the coach, you know, shout out to the uh, coach UVA. I have no idea what his name is. Um, but shout out to him. He allowed the players to decide the last two weeks that they wanted to play. Um, and they've chosen, you know, not to play the rest of the season in honor of their teammates who were unfortunately, um, you know, taken from us a couple weeks ago. So, you know, our thoughts and prayers continue to go out to the players at UVA um, as they continue to deal with this, deal with this grief, deal with the loss of their teammates and the entire UVA community and everything in Charlottesville. Our, our thoughts and condolences continue to go out to those families affected and everything. Um, you know, shout out to the players for making that choice. It's never easy to not want to go play, you know, especially for a lot of athletes. We use the game as a way to escape, yeah. you know, but when that tragedy hits so close to, you know, your brothers, mm -hmm. you know, the people that you go to battle with every single weekend and week out, you know, it's kind of hard to want to go out there and, and play knowing that those people who were taken from you would have given anything to be out there with you that day. Right. So, Right. You know, shout out to those players and shout out to the seniors, um, you know, who are also getting ready to transition from, you know, college and everything, getting ready to go on to the rest of their lives and all that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously, this is not how anybody imagined, you know, the season, you know, concluding for UVA or anything like that. But, right. you know, sometimes things just happen and, you know, it's not, you know, it's not about, you know, getting stuck on the moment. It's about being able to work together and come together and get through that moment. So shout out to them and everything. But. Yeah, we got a we got a lot of great games coming on today. Shout out to uh, Benedict College down in South Carolina hosting uh, the second round Division two playoff game today against Wingate. Um, Wingate beat uh, the uh, 
Panthers of Virginia Union last week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just had to throw that in there real quick, you know. Um, so slide that right on in. <laughs> a little bit but um so Wingate is uh playing against Benedict today Benedict is the last remaining HBCU um in the division two playoffs Fayetteville State also lost last week to Delta State um mm-hmm. all the way down in Mississippi so uh shout out to um Benedict we're rooting for you today to uh continue to advance because if you advance you get to host another playoff game so mm-hmm. shout out to you all for that um Speaking of playoffs, um, you know, not to before we get into our mental health tip of the week and everything, since we're on the topic of football and everything. Um, so, you know, we were talking about Jackson State all season, you know, been rooting yeah. for them all season and everything. And shout out to Coach Prime for leading this team to another 11-0 season. Well, not another 11-0 season. The first 11-0 season in Jackson State's uh, program yeah. history. Um, yeah. Tremendous season. Um, so, you know. It wasn't really talked about, you know, pretty much all season. Um, and I and I have in the back of my mind, I was thinking about it, too, because typically whoever wins, you know, the SWAC or the MEAC, um, you know, what was um, whoever wins the SWAC and MEAC normally meet up in the um, Celebration Bowl mm-hmm. um, that's played in December down in Atlanta. It's between the uh, top team from the MEAC and the top team from the SWAC. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a good exposure game for both conferences. It's a national televised game. There's a big pool prize. I believe the winner, you know, winner of the game gets, you know, the school gets up excess of $1.5 million, you know, for whoever wins and whatnot. Um, so, you know, a, a good money game, a good opportunity for those kids to play on national TV and, you know, kind of who's the best HBCU in Division One AA. Um, but with all this hype surrounding, you know, Jackson State, all the, you know, the expectations, all the, you know, just like, man, he has a star-studded roster for HBCU down there. The question that everybody was asking, but not necessarily out loud, was, well, how does how would Jackson State stack up against the powerhouses of FCS, the North mm-hmm. Dakota States, the uh, William and Mary's, the Richmond's, the uh, mm-hmm. East Washington Universities, the mm-hmm. um, uh, Youngstown State, all these powerhouse FCS schools that have literally been dominating Division One AA for decades now, mm-hmm. and you know there really hasn't been a space for a, a, a FCS school to get in. So to my knowledge, I want to say Jackson State finished the season ranked number five in the country for Division One uh, AA schools, which is phenomenal. Okay. You know, right. ranked number five in the country. Mm-hmm. You know, that's nothing that's, you know, shaking nose at or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have FAMU. I think FAMU was 10th or 11th in the country, too. FAMU mm-hmm. finished the season nine and two. They also mm-hmm. didn't get in. I think they got snubbed. Um, mm-hmm. I, one of my uh, homeboys is uh, the special teams coach down there. And I, I text him. I was like, bro, like. Y'all only lost to UNC and Jackson State. Everybody else, y'all beat handily, you mm-hmm. know. So it's unfortunate they didn't get a chance to, to uh, you know, make the playoffs and everything. Mm-hmm. But I was just – I'm kind of disappointed. You know, I'm not going to lie to you, you know. Jackson State, you know, they play in the um, the SWAC championship next week. I don't know who they play, but they'll probably, you know, beat – I think they play South Carolina State in the SWAC championship. Again? So they'll probably end up beating them. Um, no, no, Isn't that no who they played last year? They did, and South Carolina State actually beat them. So right, 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 right. I'm not gonna say it's just gonna be easy win, but you know, I'm just saying they probably most likely will win. No, no snub it, against it, South it, Carolina it, State. Y'all it had smell a smell revenge in the air. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think this is per because you know Dion hinted at it. You know, he was like, you know, well, regular season champs and actual champs is two different things. You know, right. Don't right. sit there and say I'm you know the the champion of one side and I ain't win the whole thing. Like that ain't no champion. That's just you know right. you, just, you just get the chance. So. But 
they interviewed Dion and they asked him, you know, well, what do you think about the FCF playoffs and everything? And, you know, having to go to the celebration bowl. So in a nutshell, Dion's whole uh, argument was, is, well, why do we have to settle for the FCF playoffs or just the celebration bowl? Why can't we get invited to a FBS bowl against one of the uh, bigger division one schools? Mm-hmm. And his whole point was, is like, you know, a lot of the bowl games, especially the ones that start in the beginning of December, right. they're normally filled with six and six, seven and five, you know, teams that just because you had a winning record, you get an invitation to the Waffle House Bowl or the um, the Adidas Reebok Bowl, everything like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, bowl games that, you know, no reason there should be a bowl game, but they they have them, you know, they're mm-hmm. money games, they have them, it's, it's a fun time for the teams and everything. So mm-hmm. that's kind of his whole approach. And, you know, granted, like, I, I like the ambition, I like the idea and everything, but I, I'm sorry, like just me personally, and I could be, you know, selfish, biased, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that, you know, all this investment that Coach Prime has made in the Jackson State the last two and a half seasons and everything, mm-hmm. you know, we measure teams and programs by championships, you know, not by bowl games. I get for some programs, you know, bowl games at the FBS level, you know, that's like, you know, a good thing. You had a winning record. You get to go to a bowl game. Nice conclusion to a season. Mm-hmm. But when you are saying you're a powerhouse program and you're building yourself to be one of the upper echelon programs, mm-hmm. the hell with a bowl game. Like, I want a title. Mm-hmm. You know, I would like to think, you know, if I'm somebody like Travis Hunter down in Jackson State, you know, I flipped from Florida State, came to Jackson State, you mm-hmm. know, I want to win a ring. If I'm coming down here while I'm here, yeah, a SWAC championship, mm-hmm. hey, winning a conference championship is no easy feat. You know, it's not easy at all. And when you mm-hmm. win one, it's special. You'll never forget it. But I'm just, I just feel like somebody like Jackson State Caliber, if I really want to prove to the people that we're not just some foo-foo program and I'm not just coming here to just build mm-hmm. my name up and show people I can coach so I can leave, mm-hmm. don't you want to go against the big dogs of your division? Like, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, we should go play, you know, Idaho in the Potato Bowl or something. We should go play Boise State in a bowl game. Mm-hmm. Damn, can you beat William & Mary? Do they think maybe Ronnie? Is it possible that it's viewed that the bowl game invitation is viewed as a stepping stone? That because of the politics involved in sports, is it possible that the perspective is that you know what? If we get invited to a bowl game, that's a step in the right direction. We prove ourselves in the bowl. And then maybe next season or the season after that, we get the the invitation to the team. I don't honestly, I don't know, because Mm -hmm. none of the other programs from like, for example, so James Madison, JMU, they Mm -hmm. just moved up to the FBS level this past season. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, for the last, I want to say, hell, the last six, seven seasons when they were at the FCS level. Mm-hmm. they were competing for a national title. Mm-hmm. So they had built up enough cachet. They had built up enough, you know, basically enough notoriety and enough credibility to mm-hmm. make that jump to the FBS level. Is because it money? Now you now. So yeah, you now I know in order to jump up, like for example, um, cause Virginia state has tried to, you know, jump up to the MEAC on several occasions. Mm-hmm. And from what I've been told is, is that your school has to be able to generate enough money 
to mm -hmm. a buy yourself into the conference because you have mm -hmm. to, you know they have conference dues and fees and stuff yeah, yeah. like that and then you also have to have enough you know money on the back end to provide a certain amount of scholarships because when you get to the division at the fcs level it's um i want to say it's 35 scholarships like 35 four so it's like the socioeconomic status in the hierarchy of play is Absolutely. what it sounds like and no disrespect, but it sounds as if within that hierarchy that HBCUs are coming in at the lower socioeconomic status, which just by design of the fact that the there's financial restrictions, right. that by default is excluding them from consideration at the championship level. <clears throat> yeah, but and, it's and also the name of the game for us as a people. Exactly. And then the other, other point, too, is like, to my knowledge, I have yet to see an FCF school get selected for a bowl game at the FBS level. Now, mm -hmm. and so Dion made this point, too. Nowhere in the laws does it say a bowl game, um, a person who's hosting the bowl game. There's nothing in the rules that say they can't nominate an FCF school to play against the FBS team in a bowl game. There's mm -hmm. nothing that says that. But I also think once again, it's also about the politics and the image, mm -hmm. you know, because if you let an FCS team come up, basically what you're saying is, is that there wasn't another FBS team out there in the entire country that could have been suited. Now, politics. granted, you know, yeah, exactly. But if that's the case, I think Jackson State, well, why don't you go, if you really want to, if you really want to prove that you are actually, you know, legit, legit, go win a national title at the FCS level. Go to North Dakota State, go to the Fargo Dome, beat them, travel to William & Mary, try to Williamsburg, beat them, go to Rhode Island, beat them, go to um, hell, all the other powerhouses. If, if you really want to prove you're legit, go to those schools and beat them. Mm -hmm. Why the hell are you worried about beating a 6-6 six and six FBS team when you can go beat a 13-0 undefeated team for the national title? I'm just saying. Yes, you know, I mean, yeah. I'm just saying, like, I mean, it's, I get it. The Celebration the, the Bowl. Perspectives. I think the Celebration Bowl is cool. It's a, like, once again, it's a fun thing. But if your team is only going to win 1.5 million, we know that, we know how this works. That 1.5 million ain't going directly to the football team. That's going to the school. Right. Jackson State has a football player on their team right now who just made almost 600,000 this season. Dion's son almost made 900000 in NIL money this season alone. And you worried about some $1.5 million for the school? My only thing is, you will. it's going to be hard to continue to attract that type of talent when we know, yes, is Dion a great coach and everything? Yeah. Does he have a lot of connects at the NFL level? Yeah. If Dion says somebody can play at the next league, does somebody, will somebody give them a shot? Most likely. However, at the end of the day, in order to keep a program legitimate, in order to keep the money coming in, you have to win championships. That's what, that's what any sport is about at the end of the day, winning titles, winning championships, not a bowl game, not no. What happens if he leaves? I mean, it, oh, they'll, it, oh, they'll, I, I mean, if these are going to go right back to where it was in your opinion, they'll be, yeah, they'll be irrelevant. And I hate to say, I hate to say that, but that's the, let's be real. The only reason they're relevant right now is because he chose to go down there in 2019. Yeah. The only reason they're relevant. And what and what did I if people who don't believe me go back to 2020 when we first started and listen to what I said. 
I said, if he doesn't create a system that can generate more young African-American coaches, more black coaches instead of recycling the same old trash coaches that these conferences have been recycling for the last decade and a half, you won't be able to create a program that can sustain itself long after he leaves. We knew he wasn't going to be there forever. In yeah. a perfect world, would it have been great? Yeah, it would have been cool to see Dion there forever. But we know that's not what he's going to do. Only reason he's there probably is because no, no other big school will give him a chance. Hey, we know how that goes. We know if you're scanning, you know, certain color, you're probably not going to get no free chance. You know, that's just what it is. But we know he can coach. He's coached at the high school level and one. So far, he's been coaching at Jackson State and proving he's a winner. And he can recruit, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Who the hell wouldn't want Deion Sanders coming into their house to recruit? <laughs> Let Deion have ever come to Ettrick. <laughs> Bruh, what if? You need my you need my foot. I know your foot messed up, Dion. You can have my foot if you come recruit. Me. Uh, crazy. You can have my foot if you want to come recruit me, bro. I know that turf toe got you. You can have my toe. Like I, so. Anybody playing with you, bro? I don't think that now, unless Dion has a successor that can stay at Jackson State. I just don't think there's a system that's been created and installed that can help young coaches really you know, bring that type of talent to HBCUs. Now, mm-hmm. well, Eddie George and um, I can't think of the dude's name at Grambling, Hugh Jackson, um, will those coaches stay at Tennessee State and Grambling and continue to build them up and stuff like that? Hopefully, you know, because that's still some relevancy and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm not going to say it's going to be all lost, but it would be a very, very detrimental thing to HBCUs if he left after this season. And so far, you know, USF, I mean, honestly, out of between USF and Colorado, like, bro, go to South Florida. You from Florida, you from Fort Myers. I think USF is like right down the street from Fort Myers. Mm-hmm. You know, we know Dion is a likable person, so he's going to shake things up and he will win there. But mm-hmm. it would definitely be sad to see him go from Jackson State. Um, but we'll see. You know, I yeah. think Jackson State should have tried to, you know, tried their hand at the, you know, FCF playoffs, you know, really show, you know, all that talent, you know, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, we'll see. You know, so um, I hope they, you know, win next week in the SWAC title, and then we'll see how they do in the Celebration Bowl against, um, I want to say it's a no, it's not A&T, it's um, Central. I think Central's in the uh, Celebration Bowl. I didn't know. So, yeah, I know I just did a whole bunch of rambling on and everything about uh, Jackson State and everything, but I you just had to get that off my chest. Give you a mental health tip quickly so that we gotcha. can jump into this topic. Got you, got you. Yeah, so my mental health topic of the week is um, there is no plastic surgery for your mental health, Mm. you know, and so, you know, I'm a a social media aficionado, you know, I I like to, uh, uh, you know, observe, you know, as as clinicians, we're very great observers and everything, and I think, I think it's important as clinicians that we observe society as a whole, you know, to see what's going on, the trends, the the patterns, you know, just because, we know that as society, there's a lot of trends, themes, and patterns within society, you know, and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. So, you know, one of the trends that's been going on for a while, obviously, is, you know, plastic surgery. You know, people for years, you know, don't like what, you know, their God-given bodies or natural-made bodies and stuff like that. Hey, you know, not everybody can be, you know, a, a 10, you know. I always tell people I'm a strong seven, you know. I'm not, I'm not, you know, sexiest man in the world, but I know I ain't ugly. <laughs> Boy, you can't tell me, can't tell me that. You can call me a lot of things. You can't call me ugly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, 
<laughs> but you know, so with that being said, you know, obviously we live in a society, we live in a world where if there's something that you don't like physically about yourself, you can damn near get surgery for it now. You can get hell, you can I just saw you can get muscle implants. Like I think my husband showed me some of that craziness the other yeah, day. You can get it was showing me so I don't know if it was a TikTok or what it was, and it was a hot mess. You can get ab implants. You can get like the uh, pec it implants. Looked it looked like Popeye when he's yeah. taking it. It looked ridiculous. Spinach. It looked a sight. And you know, I, I think I think as humans, we naturally always want you know the path of least resistance. You know, we just mm -hmm. want once again, I always say we want microwave results. You know, mm -hmm. as opposed to building the body you want, we just want to go get surgery, get you know up under a knife on a table, and you know, boom, five ten thousand dollars later. I can get the ass I always wanted. I can get the breast I always wanted. I can, you know, for men, you can get the muscles you always wanted, you know, whatever the case may be. But the one thing that there is no plastic surgery for is your mental health, you know? And I always tell people like, you know, as quickly as we are to invest money into our bodies for whatever reason, whether it's plastic surgery, you know, uh, physical and fitness, whatever the case may be, I encourage people, you know, to really put that investment into your mental health as well. You mm -hmm. know, I always tell people when you see somebody struggling with, you know, mental health things and whatever the case may be, whether it's depression, anxiety, um, personality disorder, whatever the case may be, mm -hmm. I always put it in context and, you know, not to sound insensitive or anything, but I, I really try to push this point to people to understand. When you see somebody struggling with a mental health, you know, illness and stuff like that, we, we sometimes we can feel powerless. We can feel helpless because it's like, yo, like, I want to help you. I want to, you know, just, you know, make all your pain go away, all that. And I tell people, you know, you can't fix somebody else, you know, no matter how bad we want to. Yeah. But if that mental illness was something physically like cancer, mm -hmm. I always tell people, imagine if your mental illness was a physical illness like cancer, like stage three or stage four cancer, where you have no choice but to go get medical help. You have no choice but to seek medical advice and medical intervention because now it's gone too far. Mm. Now it's spread so far throughout your body that you cannot simply just sit there and say, oh, well, it'll figure itself out. No, it won't. Same thing with your mental illness, same thing with your mental health challenges. If you allow it to get to a certain point, yes, there will become a point in time where you feel like, yeah, I have no choice but to get help now. Mm. And if you get to that point, cool. But you can also do something beforehand, too. You can also seek that advice beforehand, too. And I always tell people, just like with doctors, you know, just because they have a white coat on and stuff like that and they got doctor in front of the name, don't mean they always know what they're talking about and don't mean they're the best fit for you. Mm -hmm. So same thing with clinicians and therapists. Just because they got doctor in front of the name or they got the whole alphabet suit behind the name and stuff like that does not mean they're for you. You right. know, you can. You have the power as the client to express yourself to the therapist and say, hey, you know, I don't like, I don't like this approach or I don't like that. That is your right as a client. It is not our right to tell you, well, suck it up and deal with it or, you know, carry your ass on or something like, hey, if you feel like we're not the right fit, I can always refer you to psychologytoday.com. I can refer you to a multitude of other websites and stuff like that who have trained professionals and clinicians that might be a better fit for you. But just be, just like with just like with going to the gym or going to the doctor, just because it doesn't work out the first time doesn't mean it won't work out at all. Right. But Can people, I put it, piggyback on that real quick? Absolutely. It, I, I literally was just having this conversation with my aunt yesterday because it, and, and you get it too. Right. So oftentimes as clinicians, 
we hear horror stories about, you know, how many counselors or therapists the person had before they got to us. And I tell people, you have to test drive a therapist just like you would test drive a car. Yeah. In that though, Ronnie, we as clinicians, and I know you and I do this, right? And, and a number of our colleagues do, but there are some of our colleagues that don't. The, the clinician also has to be able to say, you know what, I don't think that we're the right fit. That's why I do consultations. I do my free consultations and I tell my potential clients, the whole purpose of me offering you a free consultation is because we collectively need to make sure that we are a good fit. Because if we don't have that, that cohesion within the therapeutic relationship and process, we are not going to be able to be effective in our efforts to try to help them. So it's important for folks. And, and, you know, when we look at it through that, um, through the the lens of mental health, a lot of times some of these disorders, people are coming to us with fear of abandonment and fear of rejection. And Mm -hmm. if you tell them that, you know, if, if we as clinicians tell them that I don't think we're a good fit, folk feel all rejected and want you to give them this lengthy explanation of why and the whole nine yards. And Ronnie, I'll just tell them something. I, I put a disclaimer out there from a door, from the door when I'm doing my consultation. I'm not for everybody. Mm-hmm, I recognize right. that. My, my approaches, my the methodologies that I use, the accountability that I hold my clients to in, in managing their wellness under my guidance is mm-hmm. not for everybody. I am not an easy therapist to work with from an accountability standpoint, because I'm not that therapist that wants to still be working with somebody five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Only come to me if you're serious about getting well. I feel you. So people yeah, need to and, understand. And I, and I think, you know, I always because I, I, I'm pretty sure you get access quite often too. It's like, well, you know, well, how many sessions do I need or how long yep. do I have to come for? Yep. All the time. And I always tell people, I'm like, for however long as you take for you to figure this out. However, yeah. it is not my job to figure it out for you. Say it. it is my job. It is my job to explore perspectives and mm-hmm. possibilities of maybe solutions that you can try That's right. together. I always tell people, you don't have to walk alone. I'll walk with you, but I'm yeah. not going to walk for you. Oops. Yeah, that's right. I think a lot of times people come into therapy, not all the time, but sometimes people come into therapy thinking that, you know, it's the therapist's job to fix them. And, you know, sometimes, you know, people will ask me like, well, what do you think I should do? And I'm like, what do you think you should do? Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm not a human mechanic. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not in this situation. You are, you right. know, because if I tell you what I might do, my perspective on it might be completely different from yours. And you might feel like, well, dang, like I shouldn't think like this. No, you think yeah. how you think that's unique to you. Just yeah. like this solution is going to be unique to you. Indeed. What worked for me might not work for you. And that's fine. You know, but people, there is no plastic surgery for your mental health. Yeah. None whatsoever. You, there's no, I mean, now, uh, now, bless these plastic surgeons can go on your brain and, and fix your frontal cortex or your right hemisphere, your left hemisphere. That's right. Hey, you know, I'm, I might, I might sign up for that surgery too. You know, give me a little uh, grandiose delusions, you know, make me feel like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm king of the world or whatever, you know. You know, I might just implant that a little bit. You know, let me let me drop some of this serotonin in something's there right away. Right. <clears throat> something's wrong with him. You have to do the self work, folks. 
You have to. Absolutely. It's not just going to snap your fingers and you know, and we're, and we're talking about conditioning. We're talking about, you know, adverse childhood experiences, trauma, and all of these things that have had this adverse impact on how you think, feel, function, and navigate life. And if you're not willing to do the work to get yourself in a healthier state of mind, you're going to I know a certain 79-year-old who I hope has had to spend the last 65 years doing the software they need to do, but you know, I'm he not gonna I'm not gonna touch on that. All right, y'all. So let's get into this topic. And you know, now as a clinician, you know, um part of part of being a clinician is also being a great observer. You know, I talked about my mm-hmm. observing skills on social media, but also my observing skills work in many, many, many uh different realms. And mm-hmm. Dr. Piss, I'll be honest. You know, not that I'm your clinician in any way, shape, or form, but if you need one, you know, hey, I do pro bono too. You know, I got you. You know, from my observing lens, I'm getting a little um, stress and burnout vibes from you right now. You know, just a little, not maybe not so much stress as burnout, but I'm definitely getting some some burnout vibes from you this morning. And you know, maybe maybe it's a good thing we're talking about this topic of you know stress and burnout. You know, because not only do people, well, not that athletes aren't people, but we know that not only do people experience burnout, but athletes experience burnout all the time as well, believe it or not, you know, not all the time does somebody want to go, oh, go ahead. No, I just said, and and we as clinicians, it's something that we have to be very mindful of because you, you know, you, you have to be careful of vicarious trauma, you, 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 how you manage your caseload, the types of cases that you accept, all of those things have the ability to affect us too. And if we're not careful, we really can be burned. He's being smart, y'all, just so you know. Dr. Was, no, I'm being for real. He, he, no, he's not. He's no, taking, being, no, I was being for real. I, I, really, I, I really do feel like, I do really feel don't like. Believe him. Don't believe him. He's lying. I was right. being for real. I was being for real. You do look, you do look like you uh, burnt out. That's, if you are, that's fine. I'm just saying, you, you just like you a little, you know, just a little burnt out this morning. You know, hey, I f- hey, you know, po- post Thanksgiving, you know, we can be burnt out from Thanksgiving too, mm-hmm. you know. But um, yeah, no. So I think I think this is a a really great topic to talk about because you know it is um for a lot of our collegiate athletes, it is the end of the semester or the end of the semester for a lot of schools yeah. already. Um, and we know what that comes with already, you know. And, and believe it or not, you know, I always tell people that that as much as people you know from the outside looking in think that you know athletes just have um you know this glamorous day-to-day life and everything you know are there some great perks of being a student athlete at the college level absolutely you know the higher the school you are the more perks there are um you get a lot more things catered to you you get a lot more opportunities and stuff like that so you have your benefits but what do we know with anything in life with Mm -hmm. more with more assets requires more responsibilities which require more discipline and more work so on and so forth so a lot of times people when they look at student athletes they just hear about the full rides the stipends the um, the free gear the the free travel the attention the exactly all the notoriety all the you know Mm -hmm. the the uh you ain't got to go to class and all these things extra meals at the cafe (laughs) exactly you know, uh, or, you know, being able to get free food when you go to a restaurant and thing, you know, hey, to each his own. And are those, are those some of the perks that can be afforded to maybe some student athletes out there? 
Absolutely. Is that something for all student athletes? No. <laughs> let, 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 let me stop you right there. No. <laughs> That's afforded to a very few select schools out of the thousand. I can't remember the exact number, but it's like over like 1,200 um, schools that participate in NCAA sports at some you know division mm-hmm. and rank. So there's only a handful of the thousand plus, you know, NCAA regulated schools that get those type of luxuries. Yeah. But the one thing that's required of all student athletes, regardless of level, division one, two or three, is your yeah. work ethic and your presence. Yeah. And no matter if you are at, you know, Florida State University or Florida A&M, like the, the amount of expectations and the amount of work that you have to put in week in and week out as a student athlete is the yeah. same expectation. And oh, and then on the field or the court or the baseball diamond, because it's it's academic and athletic. And a lot of times, and we talk about this all the time, right? A lot of times there's this neglect of right. the academic element. But right. we, we, we Oh yeah. Like in and so, you know, for people who don't know, I, I, you know, I've broken down a typical day for a student athlete, you know, before mm-hmm. the show and, and they're just mm-hmm. trying to go through it real quickly. Again, you know, just a typical, just regular day for a student athlete, you know, depending on the, the sport might vary at the times and whatnot, but mm-hmm. I'll just use football, for example. So on a Tuesday, on a regular Tuesday during the season, we'll mm-hmm. get up between 530 and six. We'll have team meetings at, you know, 630. Those will last about 45 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then depending on your position group, if either that Tuesday or Wednesday, you had lifting. So we watch film mm-hmm. at the team and then you go lift for 45 minutes. And then if you had an 8 a.m. class, you had to leave mm-hmm. your dress, you know, go to your 8 a.m. and whatnot. Then, you know, typically you have classes from eight to two. That's what kind of our time block was eight to two was our time block to have our classes. If your major didn't permit, you know, you had to get special exemptions and stuff like that, you know, depending mm-hmm. on your major, because believe it or not, not all schools care for student athletes and care for them to have their schedules adjusted to because they're a student athlete, right. believe it or not. Right. You know, some teachers don't give a damn. Some teachers like, hey, I'm not getting no money from the pro- football team, so I'm not changing my schedule. Right. It's like right. that. So once again, another thing that student athletes have to do is always adjust on the fly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, eight to two is typically your sca- class schedule. And then from two to six is your athletic window. You got treatment, you got film study, uh, pre-practice, practice, post-practice, all that. Um, and then from, you know, from like six to seven, you have enough time to, you know, go shower, run to the lunch hall, get something to eat. Then from seven to nine, you had mandatory study hall. And it was study hall was mandatory for freshmen. And if you had below a 3.0, your ass was in there Monday through Thursday, seven to nine. Mm-hmm. And then from nine o'clock to whenever you decide to go to sleep, that was your time. And, mm-hmm. you know, typically you have more schoolwork or, you tried to be a regular college student, whatever that looked like for you at that time. And then you wake back up all over again at 5.30 the next day doing all over again. So right. typically athletes, you know, are 16, 18 hour days are our normalcy, yeah. you know? And sometimes, you know, if you throw in travel, like we had to travel, like I remember we had to travel to Kentucky one day, but that was a 13 hour bus ride, like just traveling the day before the game, that was a 13 hour bus ride. And then we had to get ready, you know, do practice interviews. I mean, not interviews, but meetings and stuff like that. So, you know, it's safe to say that most athletes after work, I mean, we know as adults, you work an 18 hour day, you are tired. Yeah. You know, you are exhausted. You are burnt out. And what happens is, you know, yeah, once again, game days are fun and everything. But when you find yourself middle of the season 
And let's say for like, I was a sociology major. So, you know, sociology is not necessarily a, a hard major per se, but it's not an easy one either. Right. Know, especially when you get to, you know, the, the sophomore, junior, senior level classes, it's more, you know, research-based, more um, more documentation, more papers, more, you know, mm-hmm. price, things like that. So those things require time too, you know? So one of the things that I always found challenging, especially like halfway through the season was once you said like, my focus was football. So, you know, during the season, something always kind of had to take a hit and, you know, that was classes. Now, what I'm about to say, I don't recommend for nobody to do. All right. I don't recommend this at all. Don't make Dr. Maiden make his stomach hurt. <laughs> Good. So, but I will say, you know, sometimes, so most colleges, I'm pretty sure this is, you know, depend on this colleges, but at Virginia State, for example, we had this rule where, you know, you were allowed to miss three classes. If you notify the teacher ahead of time, you were allowed to miss three classes before you, before your, before your letter grade was affected. So let's say, for example, you have, you know, an A the entire semester, but you missed four classes. Well, because you missed four classes, the highest grade you could technically get was a B. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was one of the things I used to use as a way to get extra sleep. Like if it was a class that I knew I was doing really well in and I didn't, and we didn't really have a lot going on, I might hit the teacher up and say, hey, I'm not feeling well. You know, I'm you know not going to be in class today. If there's any material I need or any material I need to make up, please let me know and I can come by during your office hours. Boom. Good. Now, I will say this, uh, athletes, if you do miss a class, let your teachers know. Please let your teachers know mm-hmm. because, you know, not all teachers are anti-athletes, not all of them. You yeah. do have some professors out there who, for whatever reason, have vendettas, have anxiety, well, not anxiety, but angst against athletes, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Still do your part as an athlete and a professional to communicate with your professors, mm-hmm. you know, because when you don't communicate, you leave it up to assumption. And oftentimes the assumption about a student athlete missing class and not notifying the teacher is often never times, oh, I wonder if something's wrong with them. It's right. ungrateful, entitled, you know, student athlete thing. He can't come to class. Huh, watch this. Yeah. We never get the benefit of the doubt assumption. Um, but one of the things that oftentimes we, we see happen is, especially as, you know, athletes feel this need to have to maintain a certain level of, you know, a standard, you know, not only athletically, but academically, you know. We have a lot of student athletes who have, you know, very tough majors, engineering majors, you know, um, Mm -hmm. science majors, math majors, things like that, that require just as much mental energy as, you know, your sport requires physical and mental energy, Mm -hmm. you know, and unfortunately, we've seen, you know, just this year alone, we've seen, especially during the spring semester, we've seen a lot of athletes, especially five female athletes in particular, Mm -hmm. um, commit suicide um, due to, you know, just athletic stress and burnout. Um, you know, a lot of, and I'm not, and I'm not just sitting there saying that's the only reason why, you know, those individuals, you know, took their life. I'm, I'm pretty sure there was a lot of other things mounting on top of that decision. But once, what we also know is that when your sport is no longer your safe haven, when your sport is no longer your escape from the stress and burnout of the world, and you feel stress and burnout from your sport, mm-hmm. you can really find yourself in a, in a very deep and dark hole. And, <clears throat> when you don't have that escape, you know, oftentimes we don't feel like the only escape we have is nothing, no choice but to, you know, possibly hurt ourselves. And that, and that's a scary place to be sometimes for athletes. It, it, you said a mouthful. Um, no, 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 no. It's good. It, it, it was a good mouthful. And, a, and a, I'm just trying to figure out what I want to piggyback on first. So 
if, if I were to sort of surmise what you said, what, what you are saying in essence, and, and everybody needs to really get this, is that college students are required, and, and high school students too, right? Are required to manage a lot of stressors related to academics, social engagement, financial obligations, and it's burdensome, right? When when you you hear how Ronnie talks about his academic trajectory, his athletic trajectory since he was a little kid, and what that looks like once you get to the collegiate level. It's, it's extremely, extremely time consuming. And you, you know, you touch on and, and you've said it a bazillion times in past shows about the fact that there's limited sleep, right? Well, right. we know that sleep deprivation has an adverse impact on everything. Mm -hmm. So when we look at some of the added stressors that come as a result of being a student athlete, now you're opening the door for mental health challenges to creep in with increased depression, low motivation, anger, eating disorders. What statistics and research has shown us is that like, for example, where, and you touched on it, Ronnie, right? Training, overtraining has been linked to causing burnout in up to 10% of athletes that can show up in the form of impaired mood, low self-esteem, loss of confidence, and the big D again, depression, right? So it is so critically important for our listeners to understand that a lot of, you know, like I hate the term, oh my gosh, you're just so moody. Oh my gosh, you're just so, I, I can't stand it because it's so loaded, right? There's right. so much behind what's presenting itself as moody. And what a lot of people don't realize because they don't necessarily understand the, the clinical ramifications of everything that you said is that it's a stress response. All right. of these, these adverse behaviors, these maladaptive behaviors that we see demonstrated in athletes, if you have a bad game, you came into the game and your head wasn't on straight, that's not just about, oh, you, you didn't practice well this week. There's so many other things that are, it, it's like, you know how in the typical scale, it's two-sided, right? I see the, the scale of an athlete is have like an octopus, right? You have all of these balls that you're trying to juggle in the air. Some of them are knocking you in the head. And the behavior that we see is a stress response, folks. It's, it's, it's a stress response that has this systemic and even cyclical impact all of which can compromise stellar performance, but it can also compromise sound mental health. And people need to understand that all of these things are connected, they're <clears throat> interwoven, they're entwined, and you can't just address one without addressing all of the others. That's like saying that your car has four flat tires and you change one and think that the car is now gonna ride right. It's right. not. 
you have to take a holistic look at everything that the athlete is experiencing so that you can sort of, you know, dissect it and clinically what we say is unpack it so that you're able to support the athlete in the, the, the most productive way. The focus just can't be on athletic performance. And you know, it's great. So when I was, when I was listening to you talk, one of the things I was thinking about for people to really kind of maybe grasp, you know, just the idea of, you know, how, you know, off the field stress and burnout can impact on the field. We know with any profession, especially us as clinicians, you know, mm -hmm. it is hard to go into a session when mm -hmm. your mind is on a thousand other things. You know, right. one of the one of the things that us as clinicians have to have is the mental space and capacity and energy to go into a session and give our full awareness, full effort and full attention to our client during that 45 to 60 minute window, mm -hmm. you know? And when you can't do that, it shows, you know? Yeah. And, one of the, and one of the quickest things for, you know, a, a clinician to recognize within themselves if, if it's stress and burnout is compassion fatigue. You yeah. know, yeah. when we think about, you know, being able to have that capacity to be compassionate and understanding for folks. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. once you start to feel yourself losing that and you feel like your impatience is starting to rise, you might need to really, you know, take a step back. Let's just look at the NFL this year real quick. You know, look at Tom Brady, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that's a I think that's a great example of somebody who's stressing burnout off the field, you know, yeah. with his, you know, uh, you know, his off the field issues with his, you know, marital issues and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. culminating in a divorce. Look how that spanned out the first, I think, seven games of the season. Mm -hmm. His head wasn't there. He wasn't focused. He was, mm -hmm. I mean, you, you were guaranteed for the first seven weeks of the season to see Tom Brady throw a tablet you know, on the sideline and break it. I'm pretty sure after game two, the NFL was like, hey, Tom, I know you're making a lot of money, bro, but these tablets are not cheap, sir. They're mm -hmm. not cheap. But, you know, post, you know, divorce and all that, we've, we've started to see where he's starting to have maybe some of that mental capacity and stuff like that to not get burnt out on the field. And we're starting to see him play a little bit better. But with any athlete, look at all the other athletes we've seen over the, you know, the years when, you know, their head is not in the game. We all... Any, any coach will ever tell you, if you are not present during a game, there's a very, very high chance you can get hurt. Can I say something right there? Go ahead. I, and, I, and, I, and I just want to plug it. We don't have to, to talk about it. I think something's going on with Russell Wilson mentally. <laughs> you know what's I funny? I, well, I think, I, don't, I mean, obviously I have no way of knowing, but just watching, you know, I'm real big on the eyes. Yeah. Just watching him, listening to him speak, watching how he's performing, his body language, like all of his nonverbals and everything. I'm like, he's off. He's off. Something with him is off. I, I, to, to that point, you know, obviously we, you know, we're not mind readers or anything, yeah. but um, I think one of the things we're starting to see with Russell Wilson is, you know, when he was in Seattle, you know, I think, I think it's part like, you know, he was he fit a system in Seattle. The system was geared towards him where Russell was a game manager. You mm -hmm. know, as long as Russell didn't put the ball in harm's way, and as long as Russell could scramble out the pocket and keep a play alive, we saw him thrive. Mm -hmm. We also seen that the last couple of seasons as Russell's dealt with injuries, and now the injuries are starting to pile up. He doesn't have that same athletic twitch as he once did, where he could just, mm -hmm. you know, go out and scramble out of the pocket, 
play mm-hmm. backyard football, throw the football 40 yards downfield and something happens. Mm-hmm. You, know, you couple that with a brand new head coach and a coach who we just saw after the first game of the season, he admitted that he had no idea what to do the last minute of the game. You know, granted, Russell Wilson is a great quarterback and everything, but you have to have a head coach that can sync up with, you know, your play caller and be like, hey, we have to be in tune here. So I think we're seeing a combination of, you know, a perfect storm. Yeah, the perfect storm for somebody to be stressed and burnt out. And I think, you know, I think, you know, Russell was also catching a lot of flack for the whole let's ride thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know where y'all riding to, but it's not to a winning season. But um, yeah, no, I think, you know, definitely something, you know, it, when the season, I always tell people, you know, when you're losing, it is hard to stay motivated and it's hard to want to. Yeah. The one thing about football is like nobody likes to just get beat up for fun. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know no football player who likes to just be a punching bag and a dummy for fun mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're losing, when, you know, when your team is just not clicking on all cylinders, and, you know, y'all and the head coach or the coaching staff ain't really seeing eye to eye. Mm-hmm. It's, it's demoralizing. It's like you really go out there some days and you're like, man, like, for what? What am I doing this yeah. for? Like, yeah. this is pointless. And when your when your heart is not in it, you know, it's really is is really um you can really get hurt. I, I've seen a lot of people who, you know, their head's not in it and their heart's not in it, and you know, they don't they don't watch themselves and they're not careful. And you know, now they're out for the season, or you know, now they're missing a game or two because you mm-hmm. know they're they're burnt out or they got so much stuff going on in their you know in their personal lives that it just spills out onto the field. I wanna because what you're describing leaves the door wide open for additional mental health challenges to creep in. I want to share some stats that I think is really important for our listeners to hear. So one of the things that we know at at this stage um, in society is that mental health issues are a significant, significant concern among our college student athletes. And there's been an increased emphasis placed on the mental health of college athletes. Um, Ronnie, based on the 2019 National College Health Assessment Survey from the American College Health Association, there were 67,972 participants. 27.8% of the students reported having anxiety. 20.2% reported experiencing depression, which negatively affected their academic performance. Approximately 65.7%, 50.7% males and 71.8% females reported feeling overwhelming anxiety in the past 12 months. And 45.1%, 37.1% of which was males and 47.6% were females reported feeling so depressed, Ronnie, that it was difficult for them to function. However, only 24.3% which was 13% male and 28.4% female reported being diagnosed and treated by a professional in the past 12 months. College athletes are not immune to these issues. When you look at the information presented by the NCAA, many certified athletic trainers anecdotally state that anxiety is an issue affecting the collegiate athlete population. But despite the fact that college athletes are exposed to all of these stressors, Ronnie, 
they're less likely to seek help. And, and I think, you know, and, and I will say, I, I do feel like within the last couple of years, I do feel like that that trend is hopefully changing, you know, from what yeah. we see, you know, um, schools reporting and, you know, just from what I've seen on social media and stuff like that, I would like to think that that narrative is slowly but surely starting to change. I have seen where schools are, you know, making an effort to include mental health into, you know, <laughs> um their routines with their student athletes and stuff like that and mm -hmm. once again we, we've said for we've said for years now like this this should be a no-brainer when we talk about you know things to fit in a budget for athletic programs mm -hmm. having a mental health provider you know whether you fit them fit them in your athletic budget or you know you get alumni or donor to to foot the bill having a mm -hmm. quality mental health practitioner for your athletic programs mm -hmm. is going to become a necessity because once again like Mm -hmm. Where do these where do these athletes go when their sport is no longer their safe haven? Yeah. And we know we, we've said it before. We know that the higher levels you go, yes, at the end of the day, is your sport fun? Yes, right. it's it's fun. It right. is fun to play football. It is fun to play basketball, baseball, softball, whatever the case may be. They are fun. Mm -hmm. But we know the reality of the situation is that the higher the levels you go up, the more it becomes about the business of the sport and not the sport. And when you're trying to get teenage kids and young adult kids to make business minded decisions mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. off of a childhood sport, yep. you know, if you don't have the right people in their corner, if you don't have the right supports in their, you know, in their corner, and if you don't have people old enough and, and mm -hmm. you know, good hearted enough to have their best interest at heart, you mm -hmm. leave it up to these kids to make sometimes impulsive rash decisions. That yeah. could possibly impact the rest of their, you know, adult life, you know. So when you don't have those parameters in place, when you don't have those measures in place, you leave it up to these student athletes to figure it out. And we see whether you're a student athlete or a person, when you don't have support, when you don't have help, when you just have to figure things out on your own, yep. you know, sometimes more times than not, you're not always going to make the best decisions off mm -hmm. jump. And sometimes those not good decisions off jump could further impact you and make you not even want to seek any solution. So, you know, I hope this trend is changing, but, you know, there's still more work that needs to be done. And it needs to start at the high school level, Ronnie. Absolutely. How, when, when you think about the stars that our high school student athletes get in their eyes about going to college on a full athletic scholarship, they've got visions of, of, being professionals dancing in their head, whether it's the NFL, the, the MLB, the, the NBA or whatever, they have these grandiose ideas that are connected to going to the league, whichever league that may be. And what our work shows us is there really are delusions of grandeur that they have as it relates to the transition from play at the high school level to play at the collegiate level. The demands athletically, academically, socially, financially, relationally go to a whole nother dimension at the collegiate level that so many of these kids that we see in our practices simply just are not ready to handle. And a big part of why they're not ready to handle it is because nobody is providing the psychoeducation. Right. Nobody is taking the time to say, hey, 
did you know that you're going to be even more prone to experience depression, to experience anxiety, to experience psychological and physiological issues at the collegiate level? And then what does that look like if you do go into the league? It's exponential increase in the mental health challenges that you are going to experience because of the demands for the level of play that you must produce are at a whole nother dimension. The time commitment, whole nother level. And it goes on and on and on. So what ends up happening is this causes an exponential increase in athletic stress. And, and if people, if, if the coaches and the trainers and the parents are not monitoring what is going on with the student athlete externally and internally, now we have the situation that you described. We have athletes taking their lives. We have athletes taking the lives of their former teammates. Right. It, it, it's, it's a mess and there has to be a management system and a system developed where coping strategies are concerned long before these student athletes are getting to the collegiate level. These strategies really could be beneficial at the middle school level. Oh yeah. I think, I, yeah. you know, I think it's just, you know, it's no different than us when we work with children, you know, and when we're talking about getting children just to understand you know, emotions and understand that you you hear so many times people say like, I, would, I just wish I could turn my emotions off or wish I could control my emotions. Mm-hmm. It's not about controlling your emotions. It's yeah, about yeah. understanding what triggers them so you can better better use them or not use them. Yeah. I always tell people your emotions are nothing but the sensors in your body telling you mm-hmm. what's going on inside and outside of you. Yeah. So understanding your emotions and understanding how you can use that to help make better decisions and help better express yourself. That right there can go a long ways. And then as you get older and as more things begin to compound and become, you know, more Mm -hmm. real and stuff like that, as you enter the real world, Mm -hmm. it's not about being able to necessarily block those emotions or, or, or not deal with them. You will be able to deal with them because you know, what's triggering them and you can address the triggers as opposed Mm -hmm. to the, the actions no different than if you have a cold oftentimes you hear doctors say don't treat don't treat the symptoms treat the behaviors yeah. you know i'm not yeah. going to sit there and, and dope a kid up because they have a high temperature if they're still functioning and active you know right. if they're lethargic and unresponsive okay we need to address it but yeah. if they have a high temperature but the kid is still eating drinking and using the restroom appropriately yeah. no just continue to treat what's going on yeah. so yeah I, for me i always tell people you know as much as at no 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 different than what I said earlier about you know you know there's no plastic surgery for your mental health to my mm-hmm. athletes out there you know there is no workout program there is no coach there is no championship no bowl game no mm-hmm. conference title that can erase your mental health challenges and struggles mm-hmm. so just like you invest in your bodies to go out there and give it your all make that same investment for your mental health too. So that way you can be present, be present in your cleats, be present in your shoes, be present, be present on the court or the field. Because if you can't be present, then, you know, I don't know who's out there for you, but it ain't you. That's real. So look folks, um, in the instance of time, um, one of the things that I want to point out, and then 
we're going to wrap up. I will tell you all just because I am the person that I am. So I lost the bet to Ronnie. Um, and because we're not going to have enough time to do it today, he'll give the um, the the final uh, stats of where we were in our um, um, our football yeah football for the, picks for the for the football picks for the HBCU picks. We'll find out which guest had the best record so that we can get them our appreciation guests for playing along with us. Um, he'll make that announcement next week. And then yep. the following week, I'll wear my Eagles gear like I agreed to do um, for the game. I don't have a problem with that because my husband's Eagles fan, so there's plenty of Eagles gear up in this piece. Um, but what I want to point out real quick, because I need folks to understand, right, burnout. That's what we were talking about today. When, when you look at it, burnout is, is merely the result of physical and emotional stress that comes from training and the exertion in the sport and everything holistically that goes into your engagement in athletic play. So, you know, and I'm saying this to parents and to athletes, there's some risk factors involved here that folks need right. to be aware of. Specializing in only one sport, sudden and large increases in training, participation in endurance sports, high anxiety level, low self-esteem and pressure from parents, coaches, fans, so on and so forth. The signs and symptoms that you are burnt out, chronic muscle and joint pain, weight loss and loss of appetite, increased heart rate at rest, decreased sports performance, fatigue, prolonged recovery time, lack of enthusiasm, frequent illnesses, difficulty completing usual routines, decreased performance in school, so your academic performance, personality or mood changes, increased anger or irritability, sleep disturbances, difficulty sleeping or sleeping without feeling refreshed. And here's some warning signs of unhealthy sports participation, which can increase your risk of burnout. The athlete is no longer having fun playing the sports. You just said that. The athlete's sport is dominating his or her life and his or her family's life. The only topic of conversation at home or at the dinner table is athletic play. The athlete is rewarded on how they perform in sports. The athlete has missed 10% of his or her season and has not yet seen a doctor. The only important thing to the athlete or parent is winning. A female athlete is now 16 and has not yet started her menstrual cycle. The athlete is dieting just to become a faster performer. The athlete only plays one sport and is unwilling to try any other sports. Mm. So, you know, there's definitely ways to prevent burnout. Um, making training fun and interesting with age appropriate games and workouts. Keep the training regimen flexible with planned breaks maintain supportive environment for the athlete, teach the athlete to be aware of the cues from their body, that's so huge, that indicate a need to slow down or change your routine and discuss the importance of overall health and wellness, both mentally and physically, and have those conversations. You may need to see one of us if you're experiencing burnout. Don't wait until it's too late, folks. Don't wait until it's too late. Ronnie takes home. Thank you for sharing all those tips. And, and, and also, you know, there's, I think, you know, one last thing, you know, parents, you know, make sure you're communicating with your children as well too. You know, I know a lot of times, you know, our kids can, you know, they say, oh, I'm doing all right and everything is fine. 
what's fine. You know that exactly. Or what is good. I always when a client says I'm doing good, well, tell me one good thing that happened so I know what good yep. is for you. So yep. you know, parents, make sure you just you know communicate with your kids and recognize those signs as well. You know, if you think your child is going through any athletic stress and burnout. Um, so that's it for today, folks. Glad for everybody who joined in and whatnot. Catch us back here next week, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time as well, as we talk about cognitive distortions and everything. Hope everybody enjoys the rest of their uh, holiday weekends. Thank you for all for tuning in, and we'll holler at you next week. Bye, everybody. Thank you.